Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks so much for being here today as we worship God together through our singing, through his word. I hope you had a chance to get to know each other a little bit, maybe meet some new people. In fact, why don't we just do that right now real quick? What I want you to do is turn to someone near you and tell them what your favorite thing about the cold is. What's your favorite thing about the cold? So for how many of you is that easy to come up with? You like the cold. Anybody like the cold? How many of you had a very hard time thinking of something positive to say about the cold? Anybody? Okay. So we have some clear dividing lines here. You know what? We have this thing called the, the Undivided Series that can help you out with those cold and warm preferences. It's great to be back with you for the last uh, 10 days. Pastor John and I were traveling in Greece, working on a missions partnership there, and I'm really excited to tell you a little bit about it. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of a missions update here and let you know that we're working on three kind of big missions partnerships right now. Our church has a great history of not just creating a lot of shallow impact in a lot of different places, but going deep and picking two or three key areas and focusing on them for the long term. And that's what we're trying to do right now as well. Some of our partnerships from the past ran their course and, and it, they, they didn't need us as much anymore. And so now we're building new ones. And we're looking in specifically three areas. We're looking at Peru, Kenya, and Greece. And these three areas have a tremendous opportunity. They're very different places, um, but they're very strategic places where God is doing some awesome things and we get to be a part of it. So you know that with Peru, last year we raised enough money to plant a church and fund a whole church plant in Huamachuco, Peru. That is underway. The church is being built. We gave you an update on that last week and showed you some pictures of the building going up and the church is already meeting and gathering uh, in that area, which is awesome. Um, and then we've got this other thing we're working on in Greece. And I'll tell you, after having just been there, I got back Thursday. It is amazing what God is doing in Greece right now. The opportunity there, the ministry, the church planning efforts, and just there at the beginning of something really big and really incredible, the gospel really coming to Greece and being spread in Greece kind of for, for a second time after Paul brought it so long ago. It needs a fresh injection of the gospel there, and it's happening. And we have missionaries with the EFCA there. That's who we were meeting with. And we got to see their church plants and see the ministry that they are doing it's really, really wonderful. I want to tell you a lot more about it, but we don't have time today. So what we're going to offer is on November 28th, we will have a Greece missions update meeting, and you can sign up to attend at efree.org slash events. I don't know, maybe we're doing food or something. I don't know why we need signups, but efree.org slash events. You can go there, get all the information, where it is, when it is. It'll be November 28th and sign up to be a part of that. We will tell you all about the ministry that's happening there, but also the future trips that we are planning for there. So we don't have all the details ironed out, but it's looking like we're going to be able to offer trips to Greece very soon, as well as uh, John and I will be heading to Kenya in a few months to work on that partnership. And then we think we'll be able to offer a trip to Peru next year as well. So these three partnerships, we we want to go deep. We want to have a big impact for the long term. And there's a lot that we can do in these places, which brings me to my next announcement, which is about TBBF. 
And if you've been around here long enough, you might know that TBBF stands for Take Back Black Friday. And it's actually easier to say TBBF than it is to say the whole Take Back Black Friday because it's sort of a tongue twister. But TBBF last year went to support this church plan in Peru. Oftentimes we'll do a half and half where we'll support one local area and one international ministry. And that's what we're going to do this year. The local ministry is going to be Jubilee Community Church. And we are going to raise money to build a pavilion right next to their community garden. This is in North St. Louis. It's a place that has tremendous need. And this, this pavilion will provide a great ministry resource for Jubilee. Jubilee Community Church is an EFCA church, by the way. We have a lot of people here that help out in that church, and you can be involved there as well. So we want to raise money to help provide for this pavilion, which is going to be a great benefit to their ministry. But we'll tell you more about that next week. This week, I want to go into a little more detail about that other partnership, the third partnership I mentioned internationally, which is in Kenya. There's a group there called Lifeway International that we got connected with through the EFCA, through Reach Global, which is the missions arm of the EFCA. And they connected us with Lifeway International because they are launching a church planning effort that is really, really exciting. There are so many different groups of people in this part of Africa that speak different languages. And what we want to do is through Lifeway International provide print and audio Bibles in all these different languages so that the gospel can go out and, and reach people in their heart language, a language that they will readily understand and connect with better. So that's part of what we want to raise money for with this year's Take Back Black Friday offering as we seek to spend less on all those sales and all the marketing that's put out there to try to separate you from your money. We want to sacrifice some of the stuff we would have bought and instead redirect that towards something God is doing in the world. It's something we do every year above and beyond our regular giving to God's church is to give sacrificially to the Take Back Black Friday offering. So this year, Jubilee Community Church and then Kenya with Lifeway International for print and audio Bibles. And there's one more thing I saved to the end because I think it's the coolest. We will also be raising money to provide motorcycles for the church planners so they can go on all their difficult terrain and get out into these crazy areas and be able to spread the gospel and plant churches there. But I could tell you more about it. It'll be better if you hear it straight from then. Here's a video with John and a couple leaders of Lifeway International to tell you more. There are actually two projects that we're going to help Lifeway Mission with in this project. The first one is to provide audio and print Bibles to people. And, and Lifeway Mission International is planting churches and building the church all over East Africa. And a lot of people, a lot of these uh, people groups are, are oral learners, and so they need audio Bibles. And this is an amazing program. So, Diva, would you please share with us? First of all, welcome. And then, would you share with us a little bit about the audio and print Bible project? Thank you so much, uh, John. Greetings to you all uh, from Kenya. As you have heard, my name is uh, Diba John. I'm the team leader uh, here at Life of Mission in Nairobi, but also country director for the Disciple Making Movement teams. Life of Mission reaches to over 300 uh, people groups in East Africa. And most of these uh, people groups are oral. That means they cannot read, they cannot write, but they can hear. And so oral people before could only wait for uh, the people that can, can read and write to teach them. Now they can hear the voice in their own local, local languages from the scripture and they can listen to it and God speaks to them 
and they get to learn things for themselves, discover things for themselves, and get transformed. And this has brought a great transformation within the communities uh, that we reach out to. The second uh, project, we call it Church on Wheels. Uh, this is because it, it takes the leaders, the church planters from one place to another. The areas these leaders cover is just so vast, it's large. There is a huge distance uh, that they have to travel sometimes to get to an existing area, uh, teams to encourage them, or even a new place they have prayed for and they have to reach out to the community in the new place. I want to give an example of a leader in North Kenya called Addo. Addo is, is the one who, who coached and trained Samburu team. But the place he was traveling from to train Samburu team is called Laisamis, and Samburu team is in Marala. The distance between Laisamis and Samburu is about 350 kilometers. That's about four hours on motorcycles. It's impossible for someone to walk to that place. When we see what Samburu team is doing today, uh, by God's grace, it's because Ado took that motorbike and got on it and had to travel all the way to travel uh, to train Joseph and few uh, fast leaders who have now uh, went ahead and, and bore this fruit for Christ. So motorcycles help them in that sense. But also when they go for missions, they carry their goods, luggages and, and some, some items they will use in the field on their motorcycle, uh, motor, motorbikes. So this is how they will use it. Again, not all the time they will find enough of these resources, but they have, been, they have proved to be very helpful uh, in helping us reach out to the rich communities uh, in the region of East Africa. Those are both amazing projects, Steve. Thank you for sharing that. And and in our in our situation here in St. Louis, we need to be reminded of this because most of the people in our church, I'm sure, have multiple copies of the Bible on their shelves at home and easily open it and read it. And we can drive to church, we can drive to the shopping center, we can we can drive everywhere we need to go. So so to understand how critical the word of God is an audio and print form and, and transportation to take the gospel to new people. It's just so exciting for us. And thank you for letting us partner with you in this project. And we, we, as we do these projects, we always want to find an organization that we don't just like give money and then disappear, but we want to have an ongoing relationship and partnership with. And we're excited, not just about these projects and seeing what God can do, but what the future can be as First Free Partners with Lifeway as we move forward. John, thank you so much as well. Thank you. Well, thank you, Diva and Ken, uh, for talking with me today. And we, we are really excited about this partnership.
So if you want to give to support the Take Back Black Friday offering and the Jubilee Community Church Project and the Lifeway Mission International Project, giving will start for that November 27th. We encourage you to keep giving like you would to God's church normally, but then give sacrificially. And instead of buying some extra things on on Black Friday or whatever you would, give to support these ministries. And every year we're just blown away by your generosity, the generosity of God's people to see some incredible things happen around the world. And we've already got exciting ideas for next year. So we're going to keep doing this and God's going to keep using it in an amazing way. And, And as John said in the video, our goal is to build deep, long-lasting partnerships that we can do more than just write a check. We want to then follow up and minister in a lot of different ways, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. Well, let's turn now to our time in the Word this morning, and so you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, and we're going to be starting in verse 17, but before I get there, let me tell you a little story about a farmer who had a son, and he wanted his son to have a good work ethic and also know how to manage money well, and so he would have his son work on his farm. At the end of every week, he would pay him. One day, he decided to test his son a little bit and see how well his son could think through the managing his finances for the future. And he said, son, uh, this week, I'm going to give you a choice. I could give you the hundred dollars like I usually do, or I could give you a penny. But then for the next 30 days, I will double what I gave you the day before. And the son thought about it for a little bit. Well, penny doesn't sound like much. And even though that would double a little bit over time, that doesn't sound like that much. And so he said, I will take the hundred dollars. Then the dad explained to the son what would have happened had he taken the penny. Because on the first day, yes, he would just get a penny. But on the second day, he would get two pennies. And on the next day, he'd get four pennies. And the next day, he'd get eight pennies, all the way up to 16 pennies. And so far, this is not sounding like an awful lot of money. You might as well take the $100. On day 11, it's 1,024 pennies. So just over $10 total and a running total of $20 at this point. On day 20, this amount will have doubled up all the way to $5,000 and a running total of over $10,000 up to that point. But he's not done yet. It keeps doubling each day until on day 28, the payout is over a million dollars, not pennies, a million dollars. And on day 30, the payout on day 30 is $5,368,000 just on that one day for a grand total of over $10 million over the whole 30 days. So you see, even though at first taking the penny seemed like a very undesirable outcome, the father explains to his son in the long term, if you really thought it through, if you were patient and allowed it to grow that way, you would have been so much better off. And the son replied, can I change my answer? And the dad said, no. Sometimes... You have to wait long enough to see an undesirable outcome turn into a real blessing, to see something difficult become something good in the long run. Sometimes the thing that you would never choose to go through, the thing you wouldn't want to experience, becomes the biggest benefit to you or to what God is doing in the world, and you just couldn't see it at the time. Worrying and fighting about things that we can't control in our life, things that happen to us, things that maybe other people do to us. It happens at work or at school or in relationships or wherever it is. Illnesses and diseases hit us and there are things that we go through that we don't have control over, but we can spend so much time worrying and fighting them and trying to ease the pain and the comfort as much as possible and avoiding discomfort as much as possible, not realizing that in some cases we're actually fighting against what God is wanting to do through that difficulty. We're trying to ease the pain 
and distract ourselves from the discomfort of it all instead of embracing what God is going to do through that difficult situation if we keep our eyes fixed on him. That's going to be the point of our message today in Acts chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to 5 verse 17. Let me give you just a little bit of context before we get into it. The church is growing like crazy right now in the early church and the apostles are doing miracles and healings and people are coming to know Jesus and they're joining this church and it's growing so much that it's becoming a threat or, or could become a threat to the religious leaders in Judaism. And so we read in verse 17, the high priest and his officials who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. They had no idea they were gone. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles Again, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. And they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. Here's what he said. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. And he kind of worked. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do with these men. Some time ago, there was a fellow Theodos who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day 
in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Let's pray and ask God for wisdom as we study his word. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to what you want to teach us today, Lord. Maybe there's a situation in somebody's life that really, really needs to hear this message today, God. And so I just pray that you'd help us to put all the distractions of the week behind us, all the planning and future thoughts for next week away, that we would be able to just focus for a little bit here entirely on you and on your word and what you want to communicate to us, God. Help us to learn it. Help us to apply it. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there are three things that I want you to see in this passage. And I'm calling those three things the miracle, the message, and the monition. The miracle, the message, and the monition. And yes, I did choose that last word just because it starts with M. We'll get into that later. But the miracle, the message, and the monition. First, let's talk about the miracle. The miracle is not really the main part of this passage, but it is arguably the coolest part because it's a prison break. And any, any kind of like breaking out of jail escape is just perfect for a movie. This whole thing right here, the fact that it isn't in a movie, maybe it is somewhere, I don't know. But what an awesome thing. We don't get a lot of detail about it. We only get a few verses, but it's really, really cool. So let's explore this for a little bit, the, the miracle that happens here. Because at first you think, boy, if I were in this situation thrown into jail, this would be really really challenging. I would think, man, it's lights out. You know, they finally caught me. I'm, I don't know if I'm getting out of here alive. You know, I've only been in jail a few times and that was only for ministry purposes, just to be clear. And, and I can remember looking at the gates and the doors and thinking, if I wanted to get out of here, there is no way it is not happening. And I'm sure that's what the apostles felt as well. I don't know exactly what they were thinking, but if I were them, I would think, boy, this is a really difficult situation we've got in here. It's uncomfortable. The shackles are annoying. Uh, it's cold. Uh, the food's not great. It's just not a great situation to be in. And then all of a sudden this angel shows up and well, let's see what happens. In verse 19, we read that an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, which were locked and brought them out. Then later on in verse 23, we get the report from the temple guard who says the jail was securely locked. The guards were standing outside. When we opened the gates, no one was there. So the temple guard and the priests, they were perplexed. They were wondering what on earth is going to come of this? What happened about this? And while they were still thinking that someone arrives, runs in and says, you're not going to believe this, but the men you put in jail, they're in the temple right now teaching about Jesus. How amazing is that? Can you imagine the, the look on the guard's face? And what I love about this the most is just the attention to detail of the angel. Okay. Just spare a moment to think about the attention to detail of this angel shows up, unlocks the gate, opens it, leads these men out of it, somehow makes it so the guards never see a thing. I don't know if he put an invisibility cloak over the apostles or made them, made the guards fall asleep. I don't know. Somehow they get out of there goes back and closes the gate and locks it back up. That's some nice attention to detail. So in the morning, when the guards come to or, or whatever it was, they never see that anything's wrong. They still think that the apostles are inside the jail. So when the temple guard comes in and sees everything, he says, the guards were outside, the gate was locked, everything was as it should be. We opened it up and they weren't there. 
But it's not like the angel teleported them out. He just walked them out and then tidied everything up really neatly. I just think that's really, really fun. When I was a kid, I used to love watching magicians uh, and magic shows. And you know, the kind of deal where you'd have a magician, he'd be on stage here, they'd put him in some kind of a big box or something like that. And the whole point of this trick is to make you think the magician died. It's actually kind of you know, disturbing if you think about it, especially if you're a kid watching this. And so the box has holes all over it that they're shoving knives through, you know, and then they light the thing on fire and they do everything, then they dunk it in a tank of water. They do everything possible to make you think this magician surely has just died on national television. And then as the box disintegrates, the spotlight shows on the back of the room and there's the magician standing in the back and everybody is amazed. Only this was no trick. This is kind of like that, but it's no trick. It's no illusion. This was an angel who showed up and actually did this. And it really teaches us something about how we can rely on God, even in what seems like the worst of situations. Because if you or I were stuck in that jail, I think we'd be very tempted to be discouraged and doubting and questioning and saying, well, is this it? Is this how it's going to end? Is this what we're going to have to deal with all the time? And yet then an angel shows up and walks them out. And what do you think that did for their faith? What do you think that did for the boldness with which they teach the gospel? To know we're in here for teaching the gospel. And then an angel came and brought us out and said, keep doing it. Go, Go preach some more. Go teach some more. Go share more about Jesus. It it showed them that if God wants the gospel to move forward, nothing's going to stop it. And and you might think that you're powerless, but God is not powerless. And even the worst situation can be turned around by God into something that is good. And so they go into the temple and they're preaching with boldness like they probably never had before because of what they just went through, because they just saw the power of God. They just had an angel show up and personally deliver them from the persecution they were experiencing. And that, and that made them think, I am sure, wow, God is really in this. God is really behind this. We're going to get out there and preach Jesus even more now because of what we just experienced. And it teaches us that sometimes what seems like a terrible situation, sometimes what seems like an undesirable outcome can be the biggest blessing if you're just patient and trust God and see what he will do with it. This gave them incredible boldness. Not arrogance, but boldness to preach the gospel even more. You know, they could have spent their time in there all worried, doubting, fretting over what was going to happen, looking everywhere they could to find a paperclip or a file to get themselves out of there. But they didn't need to do any of that because God was going to take care of them. This was beyond their control. Worrying would not have helped them at all. Worrying would not have gotten them out of there an hour sooner. This was something God was going to use, God allowed, and he was going to use it in their lives to show his power and to show something amazing. That's the miracle. That's actually not the main point of this passage. Let's talk about the message. We have the miracle, and then we have the message. The leaders then arrest the apostles again. They bring them in for questioning again, and they're shocked for some reason that Peter and the apostles made good on their earlier promise. You might recall from earlier messages that these men have already been questioned. They've already been threatened. They've already been told, don't teach about Jesus. And what did Peter say? We must obey God, not men. And so we're going to keep doing it. And For some reason, these leaders are again shocked that they would actually follow through on that. So Peter explains again in verse 29, he says, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit 
who is given by God to those who obey him. So Peter never misses an opportunity to share about Jesus. These men have heard this before. Peter's shared this before, but here he is again. Here's another chance for him to share the gospel with them and show them how this terrible thing that they did, that they were involved in killing Jesus, which they now don't want to accept responsibility for. Notice how skittish they are about that. But Peter is saying that terrible thing turned out to be this amazing thing because now there's this opportunity for forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. You may have crucified him, but now this amazing thing has come about as a result. The key part of this passage is in verse 31. The reason for all of this, the point of the message, which is this. He did this. Jesus did this. So the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. And of course, we know that Jesus actually did it, not just for the people of Israel, but so that people all over the world could repent of their sins, could turn away from their sins and be forgiven and find new life in Jesus Christ. But at this point, their ministry is focused on Israel, and that's where they are. And when you consider the difficult times in your life and the struggles that you go through, the valleys, the challenges, the illnesses, the job loss, the, the relationship struggles, and how agonizing that can be to go through, I think it's helpful to remember that Jesus experienced that pain too. Jesus went through that as well. And in fact, in ways that are sometimes confusing for me to be able to understand. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are and yet did not sin. We see an example of this in Luke chapter 22. When Jesus is about to go to the cross and he knows what's coming for him. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He's asked his disciples to pray as well. And Luke says he walked away about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Think about that. That doesn't actually match up with my perspective of Jesus. All-knowing God, Jesus, that he would say, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit from that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. It's hard to imagine Jesus that way. The picture in my mind is calm, serene, always in control, never worried about anything. And yet here is Jesus who is experiencing such agony and turmoil about what he's about to go through that he actually stops and asks God with, with these He's with sweating as he prays, asking God, if there's any other way, take this cup away from me. Don't make me suffer. Don't make me go through this because he's about to experience something so painful, not just the death on the cross, but the spiritual separation from God. Remember, Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. And so there is an element here where there is a, there is a real temptation taking place to say, don't go through with this. Don't have to experience this suffering, this pain. And yet, what does he say? He, he's wrestling with that, but he says, not my will, but your will be done. This suffering that Jesus would endure was necessary for salvation to take place. What he would experience, this really undesirable circumstance, would end up leading to a blessing for millions and millions of people, the possibility for you and I to have a relationship with God. This is the only way it could happen. And sometimes what appears to be that undesirable outcome, that thing that you'd never want to go through, 
if you give it enough time and you trust in God, can be the biggest blessing in your life. So we have the miracle and we have the message. Let's talk about the monition. Let's talk about the monition. Raise your hand, just being honest, if you know what monition means. Anybody? Okay, that makes me feel better because I had to look it up. The truth is, originally my three points were the miracle, the message, and the warning. But it didn't sit right because it doesn't start with an M. And I had to go do what all good preachers do, which is get out the thesauruses and start hunting for a word that means warning, but starts with an M. And I couldn't find it. And I had to trace through different words to end up with monition. And I went, monition? I know what admonition means, but what does monition mean? And it turns out that monition means warning. And in fact, it comes from the Latin. And Latin actually had several words with monition at the end with the prefix that we have today. We just have one of them, which is admonition. But there were actually other words in Latin that we do not get to use today, although I will share them with you in case you want to start using them in your conversations. One of those, if it had carried down today, would have given us promonition, which would be a public warning. Another one is commonition, which would be like a reminder warning, a friendly reminder. And then there was submonition, which would be like a private warning, kind of sub under the radar. And the only one that made it to us is admonition, which is a direct toward warning. And so we have monition as our third point. That's a totally unrelated, just free for you as a bonus today. What is the monition? The monition comes from a man named Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel, I don't know if he was a believer in Jesus at this time. Tradition tells us that he became a believer and actually was very influential in spreading the gospel. I don't know 100% if that's true, um, but in, in many uh, Christian circles, that is believed to be true. And there's, there's evidence from hundreds of years after this time um, that, that people did believe that he actually became a believer. But after the apostles give their speech, and the religious leaders are ready to kill them, which is kind of ironic if you think about it, because didn't they just get done showing how embarrassed they were for being blamed for the death of Jesus? Like, oh, don't associate with that. We wouldn't kill anybody. Let's kill these guys. It's kind of ironic. But Gamaliel's the one who stands up and says, hold on, let's think about this. And he gives them some really good advice, some advice that actually mirrors what we've been talking about with the other two points, the miracle and the message. Here's what he says. Verse 38. My advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. That's a wise warning. See, this thing that you think is so undesirable, this thing that you think is going to mess everything up, what if that's actually God at work? And what if you working so hard to stop that and fight that may actually be interrupting what God is trying to do? In effect, here's what Gamaliel is saying. He says, we don't really know where this thing is headed. That's kind of what he admits. He mentions these other two movements that happened that fizzled out. And he says, this thing may be of God. We don't know where it's going to, where it's going to go. We don't have a clear reason then to stop it other than our own fear of the unknown, our fear of change. So if this isn't from God, he will eventually straighten it out. And if this is of God, then we need to be careful not to get in the way of his plan. 
and we'll trust him instead of work out our own desires. His words, whether he was actually a follower of Jesus at this point or not, demonstrate a faith in God that was really wise. And it's a faith that I'll be honest with you, sometimes lacking in my life. To look at a situation that's generally beyond my control, something that happens to me or around me that I don't like and say, if this is of God, then who am I to get in the way? And if this isn't of God, then I'm gonna trust God to work it out. That's the kind of faith we need to have in our daily walk. So all of us have these kinds of situations in our lives. Situations that test our faith. It could be illnesses. It could be um, relationships that are broken. It could be a situation at work. It could be a, a boss that's doing something we don't like. It could be losing our job. It could be something at school. There are all sorts of things that happen to us that are, that are beyond our control. And I'm not talking about consequences of sin here. I'm talking about other things that come into our life that just seem so discouraging and so devastating. And oftentimes what we try to do then is we try to soothe our discomfort and make it as easy as possible or, or get out of it in some way. And then, and then in some cases that may be right to do, but sometimes we do that with unhealthy things and we sort of self-medicate because of what we're going through instead of leaning in and embracing it and saying, okay, God, you allow this in my life. What do you want to teach me from it? Or what are you trying to do through this? Maybe this is uncomfortable. Maybe this hurts. Maybe I don't like it. Maybe it has nothing to do with anything I've done. Maybe it's something someone else has done or just a situation or the stock market or something else that's going on in the world. And it's uncomfortable and I don't like it, but you have allowed it. And so I can spend all of my time and energy worrying and fighting or I can instead direct that toward trusting in God and saying, okay, God, if you're in this, what are you trying to do through it? How can I get on board with your plan? You know, it so often happens that we go through a difficult time in life and years later we look back and say, I would never want to go through that again, but I wouldn't go back and change it now because of what God taught me or because of what God did or how it opened a door for something that I never could have imagined. Haven't you experienced that in your life? A time where you looked forward with agony at what you were about to experience. You dreaded what you were about to go through. You knew it was going to be terrible. It felt like it was life ending. And then haven't you experienced those times later where you look back and say, actually, you know what? That actually kind of worked out okay. God worked through that. He used that. My faith is stronger because of that. And I can see God's hand at work in the middle of that. That's the kind of trust and faith that we need to see. Because sometimes that undesirable outcome, if you give it enough time and faith in God, can turn out to be the biggest blessing in our lives. Sometimes the things that you wouldn't choose to go through end up being the things that God uses the most to draw you close to him and grow you spiritually. And sometimes when we worry and fight things that are uncomfortable, we end up fighting what God is actually trying to do in our lives or in the world. The Jewish leaders, if they were really trusting God like Gamaliel did in this moment, would not have brought the apostles back in and beaten them and threatened them to not speak of Jesus again. They would have said, you know what? We're going to pray right now. We're going to pray for God's wisdom. And we don't like this. We're scared about this. We're concerned about this. And they had good reason to be scared because their livelihoods were tied up in this religious system. They had influence. They had power. These people were the stakeholders of the old system. 
They wanted to hold on to these traditions. It was important to them. It was comfortable. It was their preference. And it's what gave them power and influence. It's what made them important. It's what made them matter. And now they're looking in the face of men who have a movement that looks like it could take all of that away. And Gamaliel's word to them is, maybe that's what God's doing. Don't get in his way. And if that's not what God's doing, then God will take care of it. But trust in God. Don't you have those areas in your life? Don't you have those things that you're dreading or those things that you're going through right now that are so uncomfortable and we can spend all of our time worrying and frustrated, full of anxiety, or we can turn our worries into prayer requests, cast our, burden onto, cast our burdens onto Jesus and say, okay, God, what are you trying to do through this situation? Because if it's from you and what you're doing, then I don't want to get in the way. So the question I want to leave you with today is, is there something in your life that you've committed to fear and worry instead of committing it to God? Is there something in your life that you've committed to fear and worry instead of committing it to God? Have you been trying to control things that you can't really control to avoid a problem that maybe God is actually using for good? Imagine if the disciples had tried to escape the jail on their own. You know, they're looking around for a paperclip or a file or something trying to get out. That wouldn't have helped anything. Imagine if Jesus really did decide to skip the cross. Sometimes it's those difficult things that we go through that are necessary to lead to something better. And so when God allows pain in our life, it is not without purpose. When God allows pain in our life, it is not without purpose. Now, to be clear, sometimes the pain we face in life is a result of our own sin and the consequences of our own, own sin. In those cases, we need to recognize that and repent of that sin and turn away from it and accept those consequences as a part of what happens when we sin against God. But that's not really what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about things that generally happen to us that initiate in something beyond our control and make us feel like the world is crumbling around us. And those are the times we need to put our faith in God and trust in him because sometimes those difficult situations become the biggest blessings if we'll just trust in God and let him work it out and not try to fight it. So I want to ask you just to think in your mind, is there a circumstance that you're going through now? Is there something that you are dreading now? Maybe there's not. This may not be for everybody. Is there something in your life that you are just wishing would be gone today? A problem, a challenge, a relational issue, a job issue, a school issue, something else that you, you've spent a lot of time worrying about, a lot of time fearful about, but have you committed it to God and trusted in him to where you can have a peace no matter what he does? I want to encourage you to follow the steps that I outlined earlier from, from what Gamaliel said, and that would essentially be this. We don't really know where this thing is headed. Insert your issue here. I don't really know where this thing is headed. I don't know how this is going to work out. This illness, this disease, this job situation, this relational issue, I don't know where it's going. But I don't have a clear reason to, to stop it. I'm not talking about a sin issue. But I do have a fear of the unknown, a fear of change, a fear of what this could mean for the future, of how this could hurt, of how this could be uncomfortable. If this isn't of God, I trust him to eventually straighten it out. If this isn't of God, I trust in God and his sovereignty, and I'm not going to allow worry to take over my life. And if this is of God, if he's allowed this circumstance to happen for a specific reason, then I don't want to get in his way. In fact, I want to get on board with his plan and see what are you going to do, God, through this circumstance, through this difficult time that you want to teach me or you want to do something in the world or you want to reach people through this, whatever it is, God, I'm there for it. 
I'm there for her, however you want to use this difficult circumstance in my life. I want to ask you all, if you would, to just bow your heads for a moment. Give that, give that some thought. Give that some thought. Is there an area in your life that this resonates with that you need to turn over to God right now? And say, Lord, here it is. This is the thing I've been so concerned about. But God, I give it over to you. I want to trust in you. Help me, Lord, to trust in you. Like that man said to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, God, that you are going to do something great through this. I can't understand it now. I don't know what it is. Help my unbelief. Help me to have faith in you. Not just faith for salvation, but also faith for everyday living. Faith that you care about me, that you love me. Faith that gives me a peace and a calm, even though I may have just gotten the worst news I've ever had in my life. I want to be part of your plan. I want you to grow me through this, grow me closer to you. I want you to use me as a testimony to other people so that just like the apostles left their arrest and their trial, leaving and and rejoicing because they were counted worthy to experience suffering for Jesus and disgrace, I want to have that same attitude, God, that no matter what struggle I face in life, the fact that this can be used to share my faith with other people can be a blessing. I will rejoice and I will let others know the faith that I have in you. Father, we need that kind of life. We need that kind of daily living, not just here on Sunday, but every day of the week. God, I pray that you would help the people of this church right here, First Free Church, everybody that's here and watched online or will watch this later. God, help us to have that kind of faith that as we go through difficulties, which we know we will, Jesus said in this world, you will face all these troubles. And we face them. It's a fallen world. It's a broken world. There are a lot of things that happen to us that are beyond our control. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be a people consumed by worry and fear, but a people that would have the peace that comes from knowing you've got this. In our darkest hour, you can take it and use it for something amazing that we could never have anticipated. And we ask for that, God. For some of the situations in our church today, For the people that are struggling in their marriage, Lord, I pray that you would turn that around and use that as a story of your grace and forgiveness and mercy and what happens when two people decide to put aside the the petty differences and instead allow you to work in their life in a strong way for the people that are struggling with diseases and illnesses, in some cases, some very serious ones, Lord that they would commit that to you and say, whatever happens, God, may you be glorified. May you use this to reach more people. Help me to be a witness in the middle of this difficult time, in the middle of these painful experiences and all that I have to go through, Lord, for the people that are struggling in their jobs. And and maybe it's someone uh, doing things that are inappropriate or someone that's that's doing something that is, is hurting someone's career, or maybe it's a loss of a job, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would help them to have integrity in the midst of that. And to, to look not only toward the, the pity party of woe is me and why is this happening to me, but instead to look to you as the one that matters more than anything else. Give them confidence, give them strength, help them to be a testimony for you in the middle of the most difficult experiences, Lord. And we will praise you for all of it. We remember, God, what you did for us. We remember how you died for us on the cross and let everything else fall into perspective of that, that we have freedom from from sin, that we have salvation from the penalty of our sin. 
and we remember this relationship that we have with you, God. Thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.